as it is the World Cup final today, I thought I'd put the talk into two halves, each half being 10 minutes each. But I thought I'd bring it to your attention that actually there will be 30 minutes of injury time in this talk. Okay. Let's pray. Let's pray before I start. Lord Jesus, as we seek you in the world and in our lives, feed us with all that we need to live to the praise of your glory. Amen. Well, I wanted to talk to you, to begin with, about picnics. Picnics. Uh, we've had many picnics as a family. Notice I didn't say we've enjoyed many picnics <laughs> as a family. I think I've come to see that most picnics are to be endured, not enjoyed. Okay, so I, I used to look forward to picnics. Uh, in fact, I, I, you know, I would have this idyllic picture of a picnic in mind, thinking about what it's going to be like. And it would be something like this. You know, a beautiful table, beautifully decorated by Kate, not me. I would not have the skill or imagination to make it like that. You know, in a gorgeous setting, in a field or a lovely park, and there'd be, you know, gorgeous food, and the sun would be shining, and the children would behave beautifully. But of course, it never worked out that way. It was always more likely to be something like this. <laughs> you know, food everywhere, probably covering a child, you know, dropped food, ice cream, you know, everywhere, the rain coming down, are things blowing away, and of course, no picnic would be complete without one of the children being sick on the way home. That was usually what happened to us. And I remember one particular uh, picnic. Uh, we were on holiday in France at the time. It was 2006. The children were really small. I think they were two, three, and four. And uh, we'd taken our, my parents on holiday with us, you know, because obviously just taking the grandparents is, is a way of just making the holiday, you know, so that it almost resembles a holiday. <laughs> you know, you can just about cope. Sorry, grandparents, if that's a bit of a bombshell to you, but um, it's true. You know, just so you know, you're only invited uh, to make a holiday tolerable, basically, to help with the childcare. Okay, that's, that's, that's why you're invited. But anyway, so we invited uh, my, my parents, and we, we went on the beach, and we were... We were just thinking, oh, okay, this is going to be a lovely day. Um, and uh, so, great. And the kids were playing in the sand and in the sea. And then you lay out the rug and you lay out the food. And then you start really patient with the children. You've been there, I'm sure, or you've been that child. <laughs> and um, so you start with your sing-songy voice as a parent, you know, this sort of voice. Right, come on in, kids. You know, that's a sing-songy voice. Come on, kids. Um... It's time for the picnic now, so rinse your hands in the sea and then come and sit down on the rug. So they do that, they rinse their hands in the sea and then they come and sit down on the rug and in sitting down, they plonk both hands into the sand. Okay, so you say, oh, okay, right. Go back then to the sea and rinse your hands again and then come back and sit on the rug and they do the same again and they sit down, they put both hands on the floor and they covered in sand again. Anyway, that goes on about, golly, six or seven times. And in the end, you're shouting, and there are swear words involved. And people are turning to you on the beach and thinking, what on earth's going on with this family? But you're just trying to have a nice time, to be honest. But it doesn't always work out that way. I don't know if you've noticed, but picnics are often a combination 
of stress and food. That's all they are. And often, food and stress go together. They just do. Have you noticed? You know, you just think about Christmas Day with the family. Food and stress. Or any family meal, for that matter. <laughs> you know, it can be a stressful thing. And the Bible is, is full of occasions where food and stress or food and difficult situations go together. Just look at Adam and Eve eating the apple from the forbidden tree. That didn't go well. And then, that's an understatement, isn't it? Anyway, um, then, of course, you've got something like uh, God feeding the people of Israel with manna in the wilderness. Uh, you know, a form of food that they just hated. It tasted horrid, and they just complained endlessly. Or take the Last Supper that Jesus had with his disciples, and Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. That meal must have been one tense occasion. You can just imagine, can't you? Food and stress often go together, or food and difficult situations. And it's true of another event that I want us to focus on today, which is recorded in the Bible, and it involves Jesus again. And this event is seen as being so important that it's recorded in every version of the gospel. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all include it in their, uh, their version of the gospel of Jesus. And it's the feeding of the 5,000, or the 5,000 men, as we're told by Mark, and so there'll be many more when you factor in the women and the children. So it ought to be called something like the feeding of approximately 10,000 people, okay? But it's not as catchy a title, so they just stuck to 5,000 probably. Anyway, in this event, you can see that food and stress, uh, it's written all over it, okay? Food and difficult search, uh, situations. Because immediately prior to Mark's account of uh, this event, the feeding of approximately 10,000 people, um, the, uh, that Mark includes a few other events. He draws attention to those things before then telling this story of the feeding of all these thousands of people. And there's three things that he draws our attention to. Firstly, Jesus being rejected in his hometown or his home region, if you like. Secondly, Jesus traveling from village to village and town to town and sending out 12 disciples. And then thirdly, the death of John the Baptist, the prophet who had foretold Jesus, announced, the, you know, prepare the way of the Lord and who had baptized Jesus. And so between these three things, that come immediately prior to Mark telling us about the feeding of all those thousands of people. Mark draws our attention to these things. And now these things must have taken a physical and emotional and spiritual toll on Jesus and the disciples. Just think about it, you know, just thinking about uh, those three things. We've got being rejected and then we've got all that ministry in different places and sending out and equipping the disciples and the disciples having a go and it going well and not so well and, then, and all the difficulty of that. And then the death of John the Baptist. It's all very difficult stuff. And then Mark, the, the writer of the gospel, then writes 
immediately before then telling the story of the feeding of all these thousands of people, a really striking sentence. And it's easy to miss it. In fact, I missed it many, many times on reading uh, this part of the Bible. He says this, Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So many people were coming and going without having a chance to eat. It's so easy, isn't it, to carry on doing stuff, plodding on, keep on keeping on, on that treadmill of life, without us stopping to feed our souls, without accepting God's gift of space and the food that he promises. It's so easy to keep on doing the stuff without feeding our souls. And Jesus knew that. And like with Jesus and his closest friends, we know that life can be tough too. We can go through times when we feel rejected, when we feel unwelcome or unpopular at work or at uni, in our group of friends or at school or even in our families at times. And then there are times when we just feel overwhelmed with all that we've got to do. Like the disciples, you know, going out from place to place with Jesus. All that responsibility, all those things to do, all those roles that we fulfill. When will it end? When will I get to the end of that to-do list? And then we all experience times of grief or pain or sadness and loss when our hearts ache and we really think they're going to break in two. Well, Jesus knows our coming and our going without having the chance to eat. He knows it. And into this, Jesus speaks these words. Come with me to a quiet place and get some rest. Whether we feel rubbish about ourselves, overwhelmed, or in a dark place, or a combination of all those three things, Jesus says, all this coming and going, that you don't even have time to eat, come with me to a quiet place and get some rest. So let's just do that then, this morning. Let's go with Jesus, and let's listen to Mark's description of what follows, this account of the feeding of these thousands of people. And as we do, let's imagine ourselves in the story. So you can either just listen to me as I read this or maybe close your eyes and just imagine yourself in that account. I wonder where you'll be in that scene, who you'll associate yourself with as you hear it. So it's Mark chapter 6 and it begins at verse 32. So they, the disciples and Jesus, went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. 
and it's already very late, send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. And then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to, distrib to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Now in this amazing event, I think Jesus shows us something incredibly important about rest. Rest, it seems, is the generous and selfless hospitality of Jesus in the gift of space. It is the generous and selfless hospitality of Jesus in a gift of space. In our previous church, which we left some years ago, there was a retired couple who uh, made it uh, their, one of their roles to support Kate and myself in our ministries. And they did it in a lovely but very simple way. Once a month, they invited us round for lunch uh, in the week, and it was just for us two. And the deal was that we left enough time so that we weren't hurrying. And th therefore, we were just able to, to take a breather and to rest. And they looked after us so well. They, they made us a beautiful three-course meal every time. And then we would just enjoy that. They wouldn't allow us to lift a finger, to wash up, or to bring anything. It was, it was just their, their gift to us. And then after that, we'd go into the lounge, and we'd have coffee, and we'd chat. And then they'd pray for us. It was so amazing. It was just what we needed, but it was just so simple. It was what we needed, and it was so simple. This is what we see Jesus doing, providing generous hospitality and the gift of space. It's simple, and it's just what the people need. Now, before uh, the feeding of the 5,000 people, this miraculous uh, feeding of them, Immediately before that, Jesus' own attempts to escape the crowds and retreat to a quiet place, well, they're completely thwarted. You'll have noticed that in the reading. Because there were thousands of people who ran ahead of him. They were desperate to seek Jesus. They were desperate to meet with him. They were desperate to see him and encounter him in the wilderness. When Jesus saw that crowd of people, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus felt for the people because they were suffering from a lack of leadership. They had negligent and self-interested and abusive leaders. And uh, Herod had just demonstrated that yet again through the beheading 
of John the Baptist. So Jesus knows that at the time. And he knows that for us too today, we are like sheep without a shepherd. Our world is crying out for a selfless, compassionate leader of integrity and truth. And the wonderful news is that in Jesus, we have that person. We have that person. The feeding of all these people reminds us that he is the shepherd king, the one who is both shepherd and the lamb, the one who loves his people and cares for his people by laying down his life for his people. And Mark draws attention to that wonderful truth about Jesus by focusing on the people being fed on bread that is broken and shared. Jesus, the bread of life, broken and shared. A humble, ordinary amount of bread, blessed, broken, and shared generously again and again and again with thousands of people. And then there are more and more and more leftovers to gather in. Here is an amazing picture of Jesus, the bread of life, being broken and shared for all the people so generously that there is more than enough to go round. I want to encourage you all today. Jesus is more than enough. He is more than enough to bring fulfillment and restoration to you, however you need it, and to everyone else on this planet. Jesus is more than enough to provide us with the rest, hospitality, and spiritual food we are so desperately in need of. Jesus is broken for you and for me. He gave all of himself for all of us, and he did so on the cross, so that we can all, every single one of us, can receive his life-giving love. And if you've not experienced that life-giving love for yourself, or you're desperate for it again, you feel like you're living in a wilderness or a desert place, then I encourage you, ask Jesus to pour his love into your heart, into your life today. I wonder what deep needs do you have at the moment? In your whirlwind of stuff, in whatever, whatever ways you feel bad about yourself, and we all do, in your endless to-do list and your responsibilities and in your pain and sense of loss and broken dreams, be encouraged. Jesus is more than enough. He is your shepherd king. He's looking at you now. He's looking at your, into your eyes with compassion, with love, ready to feed you, ready to give you all that you need to keep going. He's given his life so that you and I can live. Kate will often say that um, for me, when I feel overwhelmed or I'm not feeling very good about myself or I'm just completely exhausted, I do the opposite of what I need to do. I, I just keep going. I go and go and go more and more and more. Uh, frantically, so she, she says, you know, I, I do the exact opposite of what I need to do. I keep going when actually what I need to do is stop, take a chill pill, <laughs> and just 
depend on Jesus. Just turn again to Jesus and ask him for help. So I encourage you to do the same. Let's bring our needs to Jesus. Let's be brave. Let's be honest. He knows all about our coming and going and not having the chance to eat. So if that was the first half of the talk, well, the second half uh, is this. We won't have a big break, you know, like a big half-time break. We'll just crack on. But I think it's interesting to note as well that the rest and hospitality of Jesus is something we all benefit from, but we are all supposed to contribute to. Notice in that reading, it starts with come away to a quiet place and get rest. But then in the middle of it, Jesus says, you give them something to eat. So we benefit from the rest that Jesus provides. But he also asks us to contribute to it so that it is provided for others too. It's striking that in this miracle, Jesus includes the disciples and others in the action of it. How easy it is to sit in the crowd and wait for Jesus to act, to do his stuff, to do his thing. And we just sit back and then we enjoy it for ourselves. I think uh, I've been struck by this thinking uh, over recent years. I've, I've learned a lot about it uh, through one particular friendship. Uh, and I've seen it in that and seen how Jesus longs to bless us with rest and also enable us to contribute to that rest for others. Uh, for a few years, Kate and I have supported uh, a, a family, a lovely family, Talal and Hannah and their children. They're a, a family of refugees uh, from Kuwait, and they fled there uh, because of persecution, and, uh, and they, they were arrested and, and, uh, and, and beaten, uh, and then so they fled with the help of their family. And they went to Greece, and they lived in Greece for a year in a container. And then again, their family helped them to come over to the UK. And that's where we met them. Whilst Kate was the vicar in, in the parish in Luton, and they moved in to uh, a flat opposite, opposite the church. Now, we set out wanting, aiming to help them when it's actually them that have blessed us. And we've learned a lot through them blessing us with their friendship and with their generous hospitality despite having very, very little. We've enjoyed amazing meals together and showing once again that food and difficult circumstances often go together. They just do. And we've seen how lovely and wonderful it is for the blessings of Jesus to be enjoyed but also to be shared. Remember, the rest and hospitality of Jesus is something we all benefit from, but we all contribute to. It's easy, as I say, to sit in the crowd and wait for Jesus to do his thing. I've done it so very many times. I think, actually, I do it every single day of my life. We want to enjoy the rest and hospitality of Jesus without that responsibility of sharing it with others. We can see situations going on, people in need, and we wait for God to take responsibility, and we forget about our own contribution. 
come with me and get some rest. You give them something to eat. But we so easily forget our own responsibility and our own contribution. And the disciples did just that. You'll notice they said, Jesus, it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go and buy food for themselves, something to eat. You take responsibility, Jesus. You tell them to go and do this. But instead, Jesus tells them, you give them something to eat. Barbara Brown Taylor, one of my favorite writers and preachers, uh, puts it brilliantly. She says that Jesus tells his friends this, stop waiting for a miracle and participate in one instead. Stop waiting for a miracle and participate in one instead. And that's what he asks them to do. Go and see what little food you have between yourselves. And then re they return and they tell him, well, we've got five loaves and we've got two fish. It's not much, but it's a start. And that is all it takes to ignite this miracle. That is all. Five loaves and two fish. It's not much, but it's all that's required. It takes one anonymous person in that crowd to say, hold on, I'll offer what little I have and I'll offer it to Jesus and then I'll leave the rest to him. We don't know how the abundance of food was provided. We don't have those details. But what we do know is that Jesus took this humble gift, this little that someone gave, and he took hold of it and he looked up to heaven and he blessed it and he thanked God for it and then he broke it and he shared it and all ate and was satisfied. What seemed impossible in human terms became possible through Jesus. The little that someone had was offered and Jesus did the rest. Now, back in March, um, Kate and I turned 50 in the same week. I'll just let that sink in for a minute because I know it's hard to believe. But um, anyway, we did. And we were fortunate enough to go to Iceland to celebrate. We went on a trip for three days and it was an amazing place. I mean, if you ever have the opportunity to go, quite extraordinary. But one of the places we visited on a, on, on a day trip when we went and visited quite a few places was a tomato farm. Now, I know what you're thinking. Iceland doesn't sound like the sort of place that you'd find uh, a tomato farm. But thanks to the geothermal uh, springs, I hope you're impressed by that, that term, uh, geothermal springs, they provide a natural heat source for the greenhouses and then that creates a, a perfect environment for the tomatoes to grow. And this is a picture of me enjoying a tomato cocktail, okay? I'd only had one at that point. I know I look like I've maybe had several, but uh, it was just an early start that day, so that's why I'm looking a bit worse for wear. But um, so that cocktail, it was a tomato cocktail, it tasted a mixture of, I don't know, Worcester sauce and toilet cleaner. Uh, not that I've actually tasted toilet cleaner, but anyway, but that's the sort of taste I would imagine toilet cleaners have. Don't anybody try toilet cleaner. I don't know why I said that, but anyway. Uh, but that was it. Uh, but you'll see behind me there that that was just a tiny, a tiny, tiny fraction of all the tomato plants. They were just this vast 
uh, greenhouse with, with thousands of, of, of tomato plants in there. And then as you look up in the rafters of these greenhouses, you'll see boxes, and it's boxes for the army of bees that are required. Now, it, in theory, it would be possible for the farm owner to go around and manually pollinate every single flower in that greenhouse, in theory. But of course, that's just practically impossible. So that army of bees becomes essential, absolutely essential. And as you stand there, and as I was stood there, you can't see it on the camera, on the, the, the photo, but the bees are just coming and going, coming and going. They're doing their thing. They're doing what little they can, and it makes all the difference in the world. And then combine that with all the bees that are there, wow, that makes an extraordinary difference. They are contributing to the miracle. They are contributing to the miracle. Imagine God the farmer, and he invites us to play our part. He's more than capable of doing it all himself. But he asks little old us to play our part. And we can make a difference. But then collectively, when we all do what little we can, wow, that changes the world. Because we all contribute to the miracle. There, those bees are doing what they can. They're helping to generate something that is quite amazing. Contributing to a miracle in a place that you just wouldn't imagine it possible. And that's what Jesus invites us to do. Doing what we can. Helping him to grow his kingdom in this place at this time. So be encouraged. Let's not sit in the crowd waiting for Jesus just to take sole responsibility. Let's stop waiting for the miracle and be part of the miracle instead. Jesus invites us to stop playing the game of what's yours is yours and what's mine is mine and instead to turn our pockets inside out for the good of others and to help build the kingdom of God at this time. To help others to share in the rest and hospitality of Jesus. Jesus is inviting us, go, go and see what you have between you. Go and see. What food, what clothing, what time, what money, what skills, what talents. Bring it to me, Jesus says, and I will take hold of it. And I will bless it and thank God for it and multiply it. And I will use it to bless, feed and restore and heal a world in need. A world so focused on all its coming and going, that it has no time, no energy, no inclination to ask for the very food that will help them to live. And we have that food. And Jesus invites us to share it. So to finish, as we pray and as we worship, I invite you to respond. Respond as you know you would like to or need to. But I'd invite you to respond in one of three ways. Jesus knows what we need. So I encourage us all, myself included, to be brave and to be honest about it. 
We all have those deep needs. Maybe you associate yourself with those people who ran ahead of Jesus to meet him in the wilderness. Maybe you're desperate for Jesus and you're just wanting to run to him. You're desperate to experience his love at work in your life. I encourage you, run to him this morning. Maybe in those deep needs of how you feel about yourself. Maybe you feel rejected or rubbish about yourself in some way. Well, bring that to Jesus. Jesus longs to give you that rest and love and care that you so long for. Or maybe you're feeling Jesus is saying, come on, give what little you have. You might feel it's awful, it's not of very much use, but actually, in my eyes, it's amazing. It can help change the world. It can help transform your family. It can help transform your workplace and your circle of friends. And it can help make the world a better place. It can help someone else experience the love of Jesus in their, life, their lives too. So whatever way you need to respond, I encourage you, come to Jesus with whatever need you have today. Maybe you're desperate for him. Run to him. Maybe it's those deep needs that you have. Or maybe it's that calling to give what little you have. Contribute to growing the kingdom of God. Let's worship and let's respond.